Good morning once again. Good to see you all here. If you're visiting with us and I haven't had a chance to introduce myself to you, uh, my name is Jason. Um, I have the honor of pastoring here at Solid Rock. Uh, but, but more important than that, I have the honor of being a part of this church family. Uh, if you're visiting with us, we welcome you. We hope you feel welcomed. Um, and if you're looking for a church home, we'd love to have you. So um, just reiterate, if you want to fill out a connect card, let us get you some more information. We'd love to do that. Uh, we're going to start in Luke 24 this morning and quickly get to Acts 1. So feel free to start wherever you want to start. Um, we'll be in Luke 24 for about two or three minutes. And then Acts 1 is where we'll be uh, for most of our morning. Uh, so just one quick announcement, though, as you're turning there. Um, the marriage class we've been talking about uh, by Dr. Paul Tripp, what did you expect? Um, a question that many of us have asked in marriage, what did I expect? Or you've received some criticism from your significant other and you looked at them and said, well, what did you expect? Um, what a fantastic title for a marriage class. It starts next Sunday during the 10 o'clock hour. It is a 10 week uh, class. It's at no charge to you, but we need you to register because spots are limited. So if you intend on coming to that class, it starts uh, next week during the 10 o'clock hour. Be sure you go online and register so we can get the right head count. Um, our hope is that you would come to the 845 service and then hang around for that class or come to the class and hang around for the 1145 class. Um, so, so it would work for you in that way. So we expect a, a, actually a fairly large crowd to be involved in that marriage class, which will help free up some seats uh, in this service. Uh, and at least until the, the study's done, then I don't know what we'll do after that, but that's fine. Um, so just wanna make sure you do register for that class. Whether you've been married 40 days or 40 years, or you're just engaged, this is classes for you. Uh, Premarital counseling on steroids, come be a part of it. So um, yeah, that's all I'm gonna say about that class. All right. So we're ready to get started in, uh, in, in Acts 1 in just a minute. Um, first of all, I want, to, I want to start by talking about church because the subtitle for the sermon series in Acts is The Unstoppable Church. So last week, kind of part one was the unstoppable mission. Today, we're going to look at the unstoppable church, the group of people that God has entrusted this unstoppable mission to. Okay, and so let's talk for a minute about what church is to begin with, okay? So we use the word church in our modern day culture. Almost every person in the room quickly goes to religion, right? Think about something religious and most of us probably even Christianity. So we hear the word church, we associate it in our day and time with, with a, a system of faith, a system of belief and more than likely Christianity. But here's the thing that we need to understand is, so this word was first used by Jesus recorded in Matthew 16, the word is ecclesia. And before Jesus used it, it was actually a secular term. This word was used to describe any group of people who have left the privacy of their homes to gather together in public. They were the ecclesia. So you could have had a, a neighborhood barbecue and been an ecclesia. You could have met publicly for a political rally and been an ecclesia. You could have got together for an art convention or a concert. The idea was any public gathering with one specific purpose was a church, an ecclesia. So as Jesus describes his followers assembling themselves together publicly as the church, we, we've learned some things already. First of all, I can't be the church. I can't say, you know what, I'm going to opt out on hanging out with all those weirdos who get together on Sunday morning, they sing songs, some of them cry, some of them raise their hands, some of them pray when you're not supposed to pray, some of them don't pray when you're supposed to pray, they're just all weird, I'm going to hang out at home and I'm going to be the church. 
by definition, I can't be the church. That's not, right? Well, you, what are you talking about, pastor? You can't tell me what, I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just telling you what the word says, right? We open God's word and Jesus says what? That his followers will assemble themselves together as the church. But I also learned this, that church then therefore is not a building because we can assemble ourselves out on the lawn, under a pavilion, down at the river, in a building like this, right? So the building is not the church. Those who assemble are the church. In Matthew 16, the first time that Jesus mentions this word ecclesia to describe those who would follow him, he says this, he's asking the disciples, maybe you remember this conversation, who do you say that I am? And he's, he's finding out where they are in their understanding of his deity and his mission here on earth. And so they throw around a couple of things. Some, some people say you're a prophet. Some people say, you know, you're this or that. And he says, well, wait, 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 who do you say that I am? And this is where we get that famous response from Peter. Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And, and how does Jesus respond to that? He says, Peter, you're right. And here's the thing. You didn't figure that out on your own. See, my father in heaven revealed that to you. And then he says something in verse 18. He says what? Peter, upon that rock, I will build my ecclesia, my church, my gathering, my public assembly of those who will follow me. Now in Luke 24, we're gonna, we're gonna pick up on the end of the gospel of Luke that will really help us understand more clearly what's gonna happen in the book of Acts, okay? So as we get ready to turn there, I want you to think about this. Here's what the church is. So regardless of what denomination you may be affiliated with or what style of worship you may prefer or whether or not you like a formal church setting or a casual church setting, here is what the church is. It is a public gathering of the citizens of God's kingdom. Those who have believed and professed that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. That is the church, the true church of Jesus. Well, in Luke 24, we're gonna start in verse 44 and we'll just be here for a moment. We're gonna learn some things. So this is after the resurrection. Jesus is in the upper room with the 11 disciples because Judas has bailed, right? Judas betrayed Jesus and turned him in. So we're down to 11. And here's what Jesus says to his disciples. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything about, written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Now we won't have time to fully unpack what we just heard, but it, this is gonna set the tone and the pace for all the preaching in the book of Acts. See what Jesus just said to his followers is this, Everything you read in the Old Testament is actually pointing to me. Whether you're reading the, the law, the Pentateuch, whether you're in the prophets, the small prophets, the big prophets, whether you're in the Psalms, you're in Ecclesiastes, you're in Proverbs, it's all leaning towards me. It's all about me. And we're gonna see this in a few weeks when Peter steps up, empowered by the Holy Spirit in chapter two of Acts and preaches, guess what he does? He tells the people how the Old Testament is about Jesus. We'll see this over and over again. We'll see it in Acts 11 when Stephen, one of the first deacons, is drug out into public to be stoned to death if he won't recant his faith in Jesus. And he stands up and what does he do? He preaches. And all who are listening, he explains to them how Jesus is the one the Old Testament is talking about. 
And so from here, what Jesus says is this. Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. And you are witnesses to these things. And so what Jesus is talking about is setting something in motion here that we're gonna watch unfold throughout the book of Acts. Verse 49, he says, and behold, I'm gonna send the promise of the Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So last week we talked about how the mission of Jesus on earth after he ascends to the Father, he does so promising that he's gonna send the Spirit. Matter of fact, we saw last week where Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's reminding them that he's gonna ascend back to the Father and they're focused on the fact that he's leaving and what does he say to them? Hey guys, listen. Hey, I, I recognize that you are sad because I'm leaving, but it's to your benefit that I leave. It's to your benefit that I send back to the right hand of the Father because in doing so, what's gonna happen? It's gonna give way to the mission of the Holy Spirit here on earth. And so you'll no longer have me in the flesh, but you'll have something more powerful. And what he says is better than that. You'll have the Spirit of God dwelling in you, the Holy Spirit. And so here he is reminding his disciples, listen, guys, I'm gonna send back to the Father, but in doing so, I'm gonna send my spirit to live in you and you'll know it because he will empower you. And then he goes on to, to uh, Luke goes on to note, verse 50, then he led them out as far as Bethany, lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried into heaven. And they worshiped him and they returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Okay, so we're at the end of the gospel of Luke. Now the same author is gonna be writing Acts. That's where he's gonna pick up the trail here in verse six in Acts one today. Let's start in verse six, Acts one. Verse six says this. So when they came together, when they had come together, okay? So they were out as far as Bethany. Jesus ascends back to the, to the Father, sends them back to Jerusalem when they had come together. Now, what did we learn about in, when followers of Jesus come together? What is it called? The church, right? So we're beginning to see the first hints of the church here where the, the followers of Jesus are gathering themselves together. And they ask him, Lord, Will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority. Let's stop for just a minute because this is gonna help us understand not only what takes place in the book of Acts, but what's taking place at Solid Rock right now. So they're asking him about timing here, right? And they're asking about, is this the time that you're gonna restore your kingdom here on earth? And their vision in their mind is a political takeover, tangible expression of God's kingdom here on earth where he makes all things new and sets all things right. Now that's not a bad thing to ask for, right? And Jesus doesn't say, no, 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 guys, I'm not gonna do that. What does he say? Hey, the time isn't now for that. There's gonna be a time for that, what you're asking for, but right now is not the time for that. 
It is not for you to know the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. So now what he's going to describe is what I call the time in between the advents or the coming of Christ. He's getting ready to depart from them in bodily form. And then he's going to send his spirit, Acts 2, at Pentecost. And until the moment that Jesus returns, we, like the early church, right, we're longing for that. You should just Google the latest news and, and all of a sudden your heart is going to be stirred with something's not right here. Something is messed up, whether you're looking at local news and another scandal unfolds, another inappropriate relationship between a teacher and a student, another right, embezzlement of money here among political leaders, or you're looking at national news, you're trying to follow the political process as it unfolds and you're struggling, what do I do here? Or you're watching international news, right? Another ISIS attack, another terrorism uh, attack, and you're, you're, right, you're constantly reminded, what, something is not right here. And so like the disciples, we're, we're longing for that. Is now the time, Jesus, that you're going to make all things new? And, and Jesus says, listen, there's going to be a time between when I ascend to heaven and when I return. And during that time, you're going to have the help, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. So today, Solid Rock, we are still in that same place that these followers were at. Now here's, what, here's what's going to happen next. Verse Eight. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And, and you might just take this as here will be the manifestation or the outpouring of that, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so what Jesus is describing here is this movement that will begin in Jerusalem and kind of like a water rippling out will affect not only Jerusalem, but all of Judea and Samaria. And it'll continue to go out until what? It reaches the ends of the earth. You'll take this amazing, powerful, good news of the gospel from here in Jerusalem, right, to the United States of, the, of America. You'll take it from here in Jerusalem to South America, into the jungles, along the rivers. You'll take this good news of Jesus from here all the way to East Asia. You'll take this good news of Jesus where? To Canada, to the Philippines, all the way where? To the ends of the earth. And so he's describing this movement that's gonna be empowered by the Holy Spirit and he speaks with such certainty, doesn't he? You will receive power. You will be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And then right after this is where he ascends in verse 10. And while they were gazing into heaven, let's back up to verse nine. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted and a cloud took him out of their sight. Now, holy cow, try to wrap your mind around that. I mean, if it's not enough that you're, you're, you're speaking to a resurrected Jesus, Right? And even though he said, I'm going to ascend back to the Father, can you imagine being there and seeing it? And so they're watching Jesus ascend back, and, and their, their eyes are just fixed on the sky. And while they were gazing into the heavens as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes, angelic-like beings, and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? I believe it's somewhat of a rhetorical question. Don't you have something to do? Why are your eyes fixed on heaven? Look at what these angelic beings say. This Jesus, 
who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way you saw him go into heaven. You don't have to stand there in a day staring up the sky. You won't miss it when he returns. And Jesus didn't say, I'm not gonna return. He said what? Now is not the time. It's not for us to know the times that the Father has fixed. We're about to enter into a mission here on earth where God's unstoppable mission is carried out by the unstoppable church. In Matthew 16, we referred to this earlier. I wanna look at two verses with you. Starting in verse 18, Peter has just declared, you're the Christ, you're the son of the living God. Jesus has responded, you're right, Peter. You didn't figure that out. My father revealed that to you. Look at verse 18. He says, and I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, this proclamation, this declaration of faith in me, upon this rock, I will build my church. Not I hope to build a following one day. And if I do, I'll call them the church. Not, hey guys, I hope y'all rally after I'm gone and get together. It'd be really cool if y'all could, you know, get together, come up with a really clever name. You can call yourselves and then you can kind of split and get angry because you can't agree on stuff and then become different denominations. No, he says what? I'm gonna build my church with certainty, Peter. And I'm gonna build it, what? Not on styles of worship or building architecture, denominational background. I'm gonna build it on the proclamation of what? that I am the Christ, the son of the living God. And then look at what he says. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. There'll be a lot of evidences in your world that the gates of hell are prevailing. You're gonna see tangible expressions of the plan of God's enemy on earth, moving, seeking to devour. It's gonna come across as news in the head, the headlines in your news. For some of you, it'll hit really close to home and it'll show up in, in unexpected ways. And you're gonna know that God's enemy is prowling around like a roaring lion seeking to devour. But not only that, keep in mind, these guys don't know the imminent persecution that's headed their way in just a few years. See, at this point, this is what they know. Hey, Jesus died on the cross, or Jesus has said he's gonna die on the cross. He hasn't even died yet, Matthew 16. They're beginning to, to, to take inventory. Wait a second, you think he means it? Peter and John talking, yeah, I mean, he said it like three times. Well, maybe he's doing that parable metaphor kind of thing. No, I think he means it. Remember like Isaiah 53, the prophecy talks about how the Messiah will suffer. Like, I think this is real. What do you think that means for us? And they were beginning to get just a hint that persecution was coming their way, but not the wholesale persecution we're gonna see in the book of Acts, where the gates of hell literally attempt to stamp out the church movement. And Jesus says what? Upon this profession, Peter, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not, will not, cannot prevail against it. It is gonna be an unstoppable movement through an unstoppable church. And then verse 19, he says, I will give you, talking to the disciples, the keys to the kingdom of heaven. We're gonna learn later on in the scripture specifically that Jesus is talking about the gospel. 
that when we share the gospel with somebody, it's literally like an eternal set of keys. You can unlock eternity for somebody by sharing the gospel with them. Look at what he says. So I will give to you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And so Jesus is gonna entrust this mission to the disciples. He's gonna hand them the keys to eternity, which is the gospel that will literally unlock eternity for other human beings. Jesus, the son of God, the creator of heaven and earth has declared, this is what I'm going to do. I'm gonna unleash my kingdom on earth. I will save those who believe in me from sin and death and I will prevail. My church will succeed. This isn't, this isn't a Hail Mary throw from God, right? Fourth and long and I don't know what else to do. So let's just, let's just go for this and see what happens. This isn't like a last ditch effort from God to try to keep the train on the tracks. I hope this works out. You feel the certainty with which Jesus is making these claims? This is what I'm gonna do. Now, it's one thing for God to say, this is what I'm gonna do and us believe him, right? We can be certain too when God says, this is what I'm gonna do. But what makes it hard for us to wrap our minds around is that Jesus says, this is what I'm gonna do through you. And now all of a sudden, right, we can easily begin to lose confidence. Whoa, 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 whoa. Don't leave this thing up to us because we'll mess this thing up. I mean, right off the bat. In the book of Acts, you're gonna, you're gonna see that where the flesh of man gets involved, right? And attempts to kind of thwart what God's plans are. But ultimately Jesus is saying, listen, I'm going to do this and I'm gonna do it through you. I'm going to. How's that gonna work? I'm gonna send my Holy Spirit and he is gonna dwell inside of you, empower you, guide you. You will be empowered and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And what's more amazing is that Jesus declares, church, I'm gonna do it for you. Half-hearted, half-witted, sometimes barely with it, folks like us. Come on, Jesus, surely you could assemble a better team than this, right? I mean, look around us. Come on, don't try to fool anybody. We see right through the facade, right? We're, we're half committed. We're partially there, still struggling with flesh and sin, still wrecking life, still, right, messing up with parents and spouses. And there isn't a person in the room who's arrived. There's no A team here, right? I mean, at best, we got like the D team, fifth string, I know it well, because I played on it in junior high. <laughs> this is basically, right? We have to give you a uniform and a place to sit. We don't need you. Listen, this is what's so beautiful and amazing about this calling. God does not need us, church. He doesn't, but here's what he says. But I love you and I want to use you. My unstoppable mission will be carried out on earth through an unstoppable prevailing church. And if you track the church through human history, you're gonna see attempt after attempt of God's enemy to thwart and derail the church. Book of Acts is gonna be wholesale persecution. What happens with Stephen in Acts 11 is not like an isolated event. 
all of the apostles are killed as martyrs except for John. And they attempt to kill John by throwing him in a vat of boiling oil. It doesn't kill him. So they isolate him and put him on an island, which is where God gives him revelation, which becomes the last book in our Bible. Attempt after attempt. Public arenas making fun of, persecuting, killing Christians. The church goes through some dark seasons if you follow church history. A lot of corruption, a lot of merging of church and state, a lot of financial corruption and scandal, and yet what? Jesus' church prevails. Don't miss this. You are here today, right now, sitting in a chair in this building, assembled together with Christians because his church prevails. It's an unstoppable mission, and it's an unstoppable church. If you're taking notes, I want to fill in a couple blanks real quick. The first statement is this. The church is the movement of the kingdom of God. We'll, we'll do that part of the phrase first, the movement. Okay, so there's no room for being static or complacent or neutral if you're the church, right? The church is going to be moving. What did he say in Matthew 28? As you go, make disciples of the nations. The, the church is God's kingdom on earth right now, and it's moving. We can't not move if we're the church. If we ever stop moving, we need to be alarmed, right? We need to pull one other side and say, whoa, 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 what's going on here? Have we ceased to be the church? Because God's church will move from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. It is the movement of God's kingdom expanding and growing by taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. The gospel to the ends of the earth. And we're going to kind of slow down right here now. Okay? So we know this mission. We talk about it often here on Sundays. It's up there on the board in the back. Our mission is to make disciples for Jesus. Matthew 28, Jesus says in verse 18, All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so we talk a lot at Solid Rock about our mission to make disciples. We don't get to make up our mission as a church. We don't get to decide, right, what our mission on earth is to, to do and to be. Jesus said, if you're my church, it's what you're going to do. So we use that phrase a lot, and oftentimes I'll get asked very honestly from maybe a new Christian or somebody who's not familiar with that, what does that mean? <laughs> Making disciples, right? I mean, is that, a, is that some kind of recipe you get on Pinterest? What does that mean? How do you make that? How do you make a disciple? So here's what we want to do today. We want to slow down. We're going to look at this amazing process that Jesus unleashed in Matthew 28 and Acts 1.8 that we're gonna read about over and over again in the book of Acts and is still happening today on earth right now. Here's what it is. If you're taking notes, let's talk about what it means to be on the mission to make disciples of the nations. First of all, I'm gonna start in John 17. We're gonna look at something Jesus prayed. This is, we're just gonna look at verse 20 together. It's in a broader context if you wanna go back. Jesus is praying to the Father. He said, I do not ask for these only. So he's talking to, about his disciples and he's praying to the Father for his disciples. And he's saying, God in heaven, I'm not only praying for these right here, these 12, 
but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So we know that in order for more people to believe in Jesus, those who already believe have to share words, right? Not, not rocket science. In Romans chapter 10, verse 13, we get this beautiful promise. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's pretty exciting. That as the gospel goes out from Jerusalem, from person to person, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Well, how old do you have to be? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. Well, how many sins is too much? You know, how long of a rap sheet is too much that it disqualifies you? Everyone. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Well, then the apostle Paul, writing Romans 10, he goes on to ask some really important questions. He says, well, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? Well, that makes sense, right? And then he goes on to say, well, well, how will they call on him who have not believed? And how will they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without someone preaching or proclaiming or speaking to them? And how are they going to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. That beautiful Expression is describing the, the church expanding, how beautiful it is when believers in Jesus share their faith in Jesus with other people and they believe. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Look at verse 17 with me. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So here's the first step in making disciples. A Christian must share, right? Must share the gospel with those who don't believe. So here's what we do. We don't, have to, we don't have to put together our best sales pitch. We don't have to put together our best argument. We don't have to dress it up. Faith comes from hearing the gospel. So for you to be courageous enough to share, articulate what you believe with somebody else is a faith move on your part, isn't it? When we try to dress it up, we try to make a sales pitch out of it, we're kind of trusting in our own strength. Jesus, that's not the way he said this is going to work. That's not how my church is going to go forward. My church will go forward from those who believe the gospel, articulating and sharing it with somebody who doesn't believe. So those who know Jesus share the gospel, the good news of Jesus with those who have never heard. Next thing is this, and we're going to see this pattern over and over again in the book of Acts. After hearing and believing the gospel, new Christians unite, so important, unite with the church through baptism and living in biblical community. And say anything about Sunday school or community groups here or men's ministry or women's ministry. But in some form or fashion, you are called, if you're a Christian, to unite and live in biblical community with other believers. You are meant for it. Baptism is this beautiful outward expression of your trust in Jesus and your unity with the church. And so we're gonna see in Acts 2.41, we're gonna see that those who believed in what Peter had proclaimed to them about Jesus were baptized. We're gonna see it again over and over again. Those who heard the gospel believed were baptized and united with the church. Okay, but that alone isn't making disciples yet because what did Jesus say in Matthew 28? Teach them. 
So after you baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teach them to obey or observe all that I have commanded. So we know there's a teaching component. You can do this in the form of a Bible study or a Sunday school or a community group or men's ministry or women's ministry or at Starbucks, just sitting down with another believer with the word open, sharing with one another what is true. But somehow we've got to learn, right? We've got to learn what did Jesus command? What am I supposed to be doing here? And so there's just been this beautiful cycle of disciple making that has started with these first 11. They shared the good news of Jesus with those who didn't believe. Those who believed were united to the church through baptism and through biblical community. And then they, there they learned a lot about Jesus and then they went out and did what? Shared. You see how this works? Let me make another fairly bold claim. If you're here today and you're a Christian, it's because of that method and that method alone. Or you're not a Christian. This is the only way by which we shall be saved. This is the way that the church made it through really dark seasons of corruption and, and scandal. And this is how Jesus' church prevails. These are the keys to the kingdom that Jesus has handed to his disciples. So at the point where Jesus is speaking and he ascends, we're in Acts 1. We've got about 120 Christians right now on earth that have assembled here. Maybe some, some few remnant followers who are out in villages who haven't assembled, but the, most of the believers or all the believers are together right now in Jerusalem, about 120. Okay, now that sounds like a pretty good church start, right? That's, that's a pretty good group of folks. But keep in mind, at this point in human history, there are about 170 million people inhabiting the earth. So if my math serves me correctly, let me see if I can do this. That's about seven one hundred thousandths of a percent of the population are Christians. Point zero, 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 seven. Now here's why I'm saying that to you. That's where the church started. You feel the impossibility of that? Oh my gosh, you want us to take, you want us to take this church to the ends of the, there's only 120 of us. Even if each one of us went to our own people group and country, we wouldn't have enough people to accomplish this mission. But by the end of the first century, historically speaking, we believe there were about a half a million Christians by the end of the first century. By the end of the second century, approximately two million Christians. By the end of the third century, approximately five million Christians. By the end of the 18th century, 200 million Christians. In 2010, it was estimated to be 2.1 billion Christians on the face of the earth compared to a population of 6.8 billion. That means what? We've gone from seven one hundred thousandths of a percent to around 33%. You feel the, the mathematical impact of the prevailing church? Jesus is saying what? This is what I am going to do. It should blow our minds that God, maker of heaven and earth, not only that he is accomplishing this mission, but he's doing it through us. Are you kidding me? Right? Are you kidding me? Daily I am reminded of my unworthiness, not just as a pastor, but as a Christian. I'm reminded of all the reasons why I don't deserve God's grace in my life, yet he chooses to pour it out, doesn't he? New mercies every morning, a grace that is transforming me to make me more like Jesus every day. And guess what? He's doing that in you too. He's doing that in us collectively. Solid Rock Church is a part of this mission. 
Not because of our name, not because we're super cool, but because Jesus said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm establishing my church and it will be a prevailing church. Guys, do you realize that when we walk out in the hallway and we look at the pictures of these buildings that are drawn out there, here's the thing. I don't know if that's what it's going to look like or not. It looks kind of cool. By the time we get there, we might change our minds. Fine. But here's what we know. God is calling us to be a beacon of hope to this community. And the development and the growth that's happening out here is happening faster than we have room to seat people. Right? We're seeing it every week. I love it. So we're stepping forward on faith. Our elders are stepping forward. Our staff is stepping forward. Our church is stepping forward. Those of you who've been with us for nine months or more, we reversed back to the beginning of this year. We started talking about a third service and we went, whoa, there's no way we're gonna pull that off. In our little room, three services, nobody will come to that third service. People are showing up. Not a whole lot yet, but people are showing up. But here's the thing. Every step of the way that is God ordained will cause us to step in faith. Why? Because it's based on what he said, not what we can do for ourselves. We ever find ourselves pursuing our own glory, relying on our own strength, beware church, beware, right? Because the carpet, the rug is gonna be pulled out from underneath our feet. We are on this mission and this mission alone to become a prevailing church to this community, not to lift our own name up, but to lift the name of Jesus up. People ask sometimes about our denomination affiliation. We are historically a Southern Baptist church. We still associate through giving. We're not embarrassed of being um, historically a Baptist church, a Southern Baptist church. But here's the thing. We only have room on the flagpole for one banner, and that's the banner of Christ. That is who we are. We are his, his church. And we're not perfect, but we're his. And that's who God's calling us to be. I want to land here. Let's think about the way this impacts, first of all, your life personally, okay? There's a good chance that there's something going on in your life that seems like an obstacle or maybe even something impossible going on, okay? Now, I don't know what God's solution for you in that is, but I do know this, that, that God has said, I will not leave you nor forsake you, right? And I will guide your life through the power of my Holy Spirit. We were talking in community group um, last night about the evidence of Holy Spirit in our lives. And it's not always in the fruitful, awesome seasons of life. Sometimes it's in the dark valleys and the dark seasons of struggle that we look back and see the most evidence of God's Holy Spirit walking with us. But not only does this impact our lives personally, let's think about what it means for us as a, as a church then. As we think about the future of what God's calling us to be and calling us to do. I can remember just like six years ago, the mission team casted vision said, hey, we're gonna go to the Philippines, to these remote villages, and it was like, there's no electricity or no water. We're gonna get there, and it's gonna cost about $2,000 a person to get there. I can remember some struggle in the church, some doubt, like that's expensive, we're never gonna be able to afford to do that. Oh my gosh, that doesn't sound safe, right? Seems, seems somewhat impossible. I can even remember back then talking about, you know, one day we're gonna send a family from our church to go live in a, one of these remote areas for like three years. And I was asked, where are these people gonna come from? I don't know. We're gonna trust God to lift them, to raise them up. Do we know who this family is? Nope. But we believe this is what God is calling us to do. How about the Christmas store? Some of you been involved in the Christmas store? Did you know even that seemed like an impossible, incredibly difficult task for us to pull off as a church? Over and over again, God is showing us tangible expressions of his empowerment of the Holy Spirit to what? To be the prevailing church, to accomplish what he told us to do.
here's where I want to land finally. If you are a Christian, if you're a Christian, you are a part of this unstoppable mission and you are a part of the unstoppable church. If you're part of Solid Rock Church and you call this your home, guess what? We want you to be part of the biblical community here. We wanna walk with you. We wanna encourage you. We wanna struggle with you. We wanna pray for you and pray with you. We wanna help you when your marriages get in trouble. We wanna help you when you struggle. We wanna be on mission together in this community and to the ends of the earth. I wanna land by um, maybe asking our worship team if you guys are ready to come back up and, and asking you to think about that process we laid out of becoming a disciple maker and maybe spend a moment thinking about where you are in that process. Maybe you're here today and you have never responded to the gospel. You still have yet to become a Christian. Maybe you are, have allowed doubt or frustrations or what happened to you when you were a kid or some experiences you've had with Christians to keep you from becoming one. Maybe you're still struggling to believe that there is a God and maybe you're finally at that place where you're, you're able to recognize, okay, maybe there is a higher power. Maybe there is an ultimate being here unifying this together. I wanna share with you first and foremost this. Jesus is truly the son of the living God. He came to earth for about 33 years. It was prophesied and promised through the whole Old Testament in your Bible that it would happen. He did it. He lived perfectly among us. He willingly died on a cross for you. I'm not looking at the person next to you, you. He died on the cross for you. Your sins, every one of them were nailed to the cross with him. He took those sins to the grave. And then three days later, he resurrected, leaving the power of sin and death in the grave. And he has said to us, anyone who will believe in him, that he truly is the Christ, the son of the living God and trust in him, you will be saved. And so first and foremost, that's the message you need to hear today. I'm gonna pray for you in just a minute that you'll consider making that decision to trust in Jesus. Maybe you're here today and, and you've, you're a new Christian. You've yet to unite with the church. You've yet to follow through with baptism. And maybe that's where you are in that process. I'm gonna pray for you in that decision as well. We don't wanna make it a legalistic set of rules and do's and don'ts, but simply lay before you, this is what Jesus is calling you to. As part of your relationship with him, he's calling you to follow his example in baptism and be united to his church. So I wanna pray for you as well. Or maybe you're in that, hey, I need to learn more stage. I'm ready to go, but I'm not quite sure what to say or how to say it. Not only do I wanna pray for you, but we wanna equip you as a church. And we wanna know if that's where you are. So let's pray together. Let's consider maybe where you are personally in that process. And then let's respond to God. Father, we wanna first uh, pray for any person here who has not made a decision to trust in Jesus. Father, we thank you that this is not a complicated process or a set of do's and don'ts, but it's simply a matter of the heart of trusting and believing. Father, any person here right now whose heart is ready, who feels that gentle nudging of your spirit, God, today I pray that this will be the day of salvation, that they would trust in Jesus and him alone. Maybe for the, the new Christian here today, God, who's struggling to feel like they're fully a part of what you're doing and they're having a hard time finding their place in the church, I pray, God, you would help. 
God, bring that Christian into unity with the people of God, to feel connected to brothers and sisters in Christ, to be a part of this amazing, rich community and kinship that you have given to us called the church. For all of us, God, who are so prone to live life based on our own mission, to pursue our own dreams. And at the end of every day, we wonder why we're not fulfilled and why we aren't happy. God, would you remind us today that we have been saved for this amazing single purpose to make you known. As we go to our jobs, as we interact with our family, as we interact with our neighbors, our primary purpose is to make you known, God. Would you stir that in us this morning? As we stand to sing in a minute, I want you to feel free to just stay seated and pray if you'd like. Our prayer partners will be in the back. They'll have lanyards on that say prayer partners. They'll be back there with our elders as well, and they would love to talk to you about becoming a Christian or pray with you. If you want to come kneel at the front, you're free to do that. If you'd like to stand and sing, we invite you to do that as well. Let's respond now.